0: and i think i i was i think i was if not even anger and disappointment it was a why has thou forsaken me moment you know uh, it is a uh, cancer was a crucifixion so to speak the more valuable that i am the more uh virtuous or the more faithful that I am. See, the fact of the matter is, brothers want sisters to be virtuous and women want men to be faithful. Love is not enough. Love is the thread, but purpose is the glue. She says, oh, he only wanted me for my body. He she only wanted me for my money. But that's all you brought to the table.
1: Hey guys, uh welcome to Candid Podcast with me, Lady T. Right? This is the podcast where I dive into so many different topics and issues relating to relationships, life, life, uh, politics, pop culture, and a whole lot more. Now, usually when I introduce uh, my guests, it's pretty quick and in a few sentences, but just so you know the type of caliber I'm about to engage with, here's a rundown, okay, of some of his achievements. And I say some, because I'm pretty sure there's others that haven't been listed. So, first of all, he's a stage four cancer survivor. That is huge, okay? Um, He's a seasoned author with not one, not two, not three, not four, but 12, yes, 12 best-selling books. I don't know how he finds the time to write social life, but hey, it's all good. Uh, He's also an international speaker. He's a college professor. Wow. Uh, Founder of Vision Summit and the Relationship Academy. He's the president of the National Entrepreneurs Association of Michigan. Wow, he got money that means. (laughs) I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, He's also the recipient of the President Barack Obama Volunteer Service Award and Lifetime Achievement Award from the White House. He's also recognized as one of the top 35 millennial influencers in America. That's a whole of America, America. Uh, As listed in the top 100 leaders in who's who in black Detroit. Named in Michigan's top forty under forty, and he's the winner of Author of the Year by Kingdom Image Awards. So, Doctor Eddie Connor, is there anything I've missed out on this? Because that's a whole list.
0: <laughs> I'm, I, listen, I'm just trying to be where the money resides. So, <laughs> since you mentioned it, I love it. No, I, no. I... No, I think uh, this is an absolute honor to be with you, uh, connect with you in the UK. And I know there's a lot going on these days out there. Yes,
1: but, there um... <laughs> is a lot going on. It's I feel like there's a transatlantic, like crossover of issues that are going on at the moment. But you know, it's,
0: absolutely, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's all good. So like, right. So I have to say for me, this is like really cool to have you um, on this podcast because I've been following you for years. and And I wow. was thinking to myself earlier today, I was like, I've actually seen like, your I guess your glow up or your growth stage wow. like from so I think from I think your first or second book to now like your 12th books and I'm just like wow you've like you have really stuck to this you've gone through it and then and I knew one day I would eventually speak to you because I was like oh I need to interview this guy it sounds really good you know he's cool he's American yeah <laughs> and then just never found the time but now I feel like yeah This is the right
0: tile. Well, absolutely. You know, (laughs) Lady T, I think it stands more than uh, TOLU if I'm I'm saying it right. I think the T is truth and transparency, so it's... uh...
1: (laughs) Oh, you know what? I've never heard anybody say like that, but the fact that you just said that, thank you very much. I love that. (laughs) Truth and transparency, which is great. Before we really talk about you and all the things that you do and some of the questions that I have for you, 2020 was a it was a crazy year for everybody like I mean there's not one human being on planet earth that was not affected by this pandemic who've lost someone or who had the virus crazy so and also in America there was so much going on as well um so for you as a man as a black man living in America and going through this pandemic like how how did it affect you like real real like really affect you and how did you just like manage to sell through and transition through it
0: Mm, it, that's that's a a very uh, incredible question because i as i think about 2020 and i wrote a book 2020 vision how to see beyond what you see and transform your reality that came out of jan they came out on january 20th 2020 not knowing that we would be in a uh pandemic that's that commenced in in march march 11th and you mm-hmm. think about in america 9 11 to 3 11 and matter of fact it it really encapsulated just the whole world when i think about we are living through a chapter especially in america here that we thought we'd only read in history books we've already experienced by 2020 we've already experienced the spanish flu of 1918 that ravaged the world we've already experienced the great depression of 1929 we've already experienced the social unrest of 1968 encapsulated all in a year and to think about the racial unrest as well George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Rihanna Taylor, I think it and then of course thinking about 500 plus thousand individuals who have lost their life uh, to COVID-19, 50 uh, million plus Americans not even counting the people all over the world who are unemployed, financial insecurity and and food insecurity as well. I think it brought us to a place of trying to now look at how we have to forsake the the familiar. Uh, normal is not coming back. Normal is not behind us. Normal is ahead of us. And uh, we're we're in a new place now. And I, I think as we think about it, the most dangerous place that you can be in life is not when you're walking on water, it's when you're staying in the boat. Mm. And, and literally having to forsake what you thought was, you know, we're going from from brick and mortar to click and order. We've gone from footprints to fingertips now. Uh, we've gone from uh, conferences to Zoom gatherings. Mm-hmm. It, it is a, a different place to where uh, our, our world is in a different space and place. And I, I think now it brings us to a, a, a seminal question. If COVID-19 taught us anything, it's can you touch somebody without touching somebody? Can you be there without being there? Can you literally touch somebody's heart without using your hands? When I can't give you a hug, when I can't, you <laughs> necessarily be in a place, can I still be socially connected even though right. we're socially distant?
1: Right, right,
0: exactly. And, uh, you know, I think being able to be creative in a cave, in a chasm, not panicking, but pivoting, not panicking, but prospering, not panicking in a pandemic, but being able to be proactive Yeah. and discover what your purpose is.
1: Wow. I felt like I just went into like a mini, uh, <laughs> a mini timekeeping session, like I was like, <laughs> Wait, I wasn't expecting
0: that.
1: I was <laughs> <laughs> like, "Wow, no, but no." Some absolutely great points there because, yeah, what was it you said from from something to pivoting like that, like yeah. that, that I found that quite int- like inspiring. That was like pretty dope. But yeah, I mean, it's been it's been hella crazy for everybody, and you mm-hmm. managed to write like another book as well, which we will talk about again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you've done some amazing stuff. So let's talk about you growing up. Now, I was reading your bio, like so. Most people think that you're straight up American, but really, you're actually Jamaican. Wow. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah man. It. No problem. I I, I got to work on my patois. You know, maybe if I have a, a, enough jerk chicken and oh Aki and salt fish and callaloo, that makes you say Halaloo. Uh, <laughs> if I have enough dumpling, <laughs> then uh, I'll get it back. Oh but my uh. God. Wow. Yeah, I grew up in Jamaica, Kingston man.
1: Kingston, Jamaica, you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, 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 how was that transition? Like, what made you come over from like Jamaica than to settle in America? Because I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to like get over the fact that you're actually Jamaican. You're not really American, but like, it's oh, it's weird. Oh. It's it's crazy. So, when did that happen from Kingston, Jamaica? And do you remember anything about living in Kingston, Jamaica as well?
0: Oh, plenty. Listen, I'm, a, I'm a son of the city of Detroit. Uh, so, well, like we say, uh, from the 313 to Motown, it's mm-hmm. my hometown. Love it. What up, doe? <laughs> what up? What <So, laughs> up? So, so, we say that there. Uh, but my, my parents, prior to their divorce, were missionaries to the island. My wow. father's from the islands. Wow. My mother's American, uh, American black woman. But they went over to the islands and went over to Kingston, Jamaica when I was a kid. So, literally from about four to seven years of age, my brother and I lived there. Um, You know, we're just absorbing the culture. And I had a Jamaican accent. I just picked it up very quickly. I was playing, we say soccer here in the States, but it's football, right? And so we were doing ministry, feeding the homeless and uh, bringing the gospel to a lot of people there as a kid. And, you know, my heart went out to people, especially just even as a kid. And I think I became much of a people person when I see people's feet of their shoes, but they're so blessed. To where even if they're hungry, they able grab grab a mango off the tree, right? And and you just see how much blessed you are living in the states versus a third world country like Jamaica. And so, those are some of my best times going to school there. Um, I broke my leg in Jamaica playing playing football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, got tripped up by a kid and, and it was my mama told me don't you dare play in your uniform I'm wearing a uniform going to a Christian school there and uh, me being hard headed as it is but I think that really became the formation the formidable aspect and foundation of my education mm. uh, the British education which I've always been enamored by our brothers and sisters in the UK and then also in Jamaica just the, the clarity the Elocution of speech. Oh
1: yeah, sorry. like this. You, are you talking about like this? this I, I'm
0: absolutely talking about that.
1: Okay, okay, sir. Yes,
0: uh, Lady T, you pronounce your T's.
1: I, I have so. to pronounce my T's. If I don't, my mother will have something to say about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, listen. When I came back over to the states, they wanted to double promote me. My mom said, "We'll we'll keep you, you know, with your your peers." But you know, I got teased for my Jamaican accent, I got teased wow. for you know speaking the king's or the queens English, so to speak. But that really advanced me, even at such a young age, and those are some of the greatest memories I've had.
1: Wow, that's life. amazing. I'm I'm yeah. I'm still trying to picture you having a Patwa accent. That's 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 crazy. Like, yeah, that they
0: is- teased me out of it here in the States. They, they teased, teased me out of it.
1: But how- I mean, like teasing you out of your like, your dialect, like that's who, that makes you who you are. And then teasing you out, like, how did that make you feel as a kid? And like, what did your mom say to that? You know, growing up? In the yeah.
0: World? I mean, my mom tried to encourage me, but uh, you know, when you're a kid, you want to fit in. You know? mm-hmm. I used to even play violin back in the day, about seven to the age of 13. And I was uh, one of the youngest in the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. And uh, they're like, Nah, bro. A black boy playing violin, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. That ain't cool. Are you serious? <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, is
1: that, wait, can I just say, is that public knowledge? Do people know that you play the violin or is that
0: something? Very, about- very few people do. Right. Very few people. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm giving you insider information, right? Yes, I,
1: I feel very I mean, honored to know that type of information. That is fantastic. I absolutely love that. But yeah, no, yeah. well, that's brilliant. So... Now that you're living in America, you're in a new land. You know, as they say, the land of all Coming
0: to America.
1: Ah! <laughs> Listen, let's not talk about that yet, because because I am Eddie's. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> I love it. Wow. Coming to
0: America in reverse, huh?
1: Did you feel like that though? Did you feel like it was like a coming to
0: America moment type thing? And now, now that I think about it, I just had an epiphany. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it is. So you're going to go back and figure, like, yo, that was like, I felt like I was in my own coming to America. Music.
0: Yeah, I was. <laughs> of all the times i talked about Jamaica and inter- all the interviews I've done, I've never had that experience until <laughs> now. You just gave me an epiphany. Only, only on the Lady T show.
1: Like, listen, this is where it all happens. Things come out that you never thought possible. And it's just like, how? But no, I'm honored by that. That's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. So you're now in Coming to America, your own <laughs> your own show. Yeah. You're now in the yeah. US of A. And then um, something really uh, something quite huge happened to you. And I think that was what drew me to your story in the mm. beginning, because and you might not remember this. You probably won't. But if you do go back and check the messages, you'll check this. At the time, there was a, at a point, my best friend. So she had just been diagnosed with cancer. And Ooh. I, it was, in fact, when she told me, I was just, I was shocked. And I thought she had quite a long time to to at least fight it. But as the days and weeks went on, it just grew shorter and shorter. And I remember messaging you because I was just like, go 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 when you when we finish go to your facebook message and see so i remember messaging you at the time because i've never dealt with someone who is living with cancer like never so it was the first Mm. time for me and i remember your story and i was like okay let me reach out to you because you went through it how do you how what's the best way to be there for your best friend who's suffering and who's like trying to fight, but you can see her slipping away. Like how how mm. does one deal with that? And and that was, that was, that for me was just like, wow, you've gone through it. You must know, you must have something to say, what can I do and all that kind of stuff. So I, I remember that. Mm. Check your messages, you'll, you'll, you'll see oh, wow. it. So wow. when mm. did stage four cancer, like when did that start developing? When did you find out and like, how did things progress from there?
0: Yeah, it was a very tough situation. You know, uh, every second in America, two to three people are diagnosed. One in every one thousand teenagers gets a report of being afflicted by cancer diagnosis. And so, I was just just a regular kid. I was fifteen years of age at this time, and it's playing basketball and was getting ready to. I was doing running cross country, just getting fit for playing basketball in high school. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just a regular kid. My favorite two classes in school were gym and lunch. You know, I'd love to chase the <laughs> girls in gym and then sit down and eat with them at lunch. <laughs> and so just a regular kid with you a high think, top right? fade. Right? Right? Oh, wow. Rocking high a top. pair of Jordans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there pictures of that? Are
1: there pictures of that? Does your mom have there, pictures of those?
0: there are a few pictures of that. Bales have <laughs> never been released.
1: <laughs> you wait. You wait, <laughs>
0: but based on the quarantine, now I'm back to the the high type fade. Yeah, so we, like faith. we like the
1: fade. We like the
0: fade. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so I was I was just having these chest pains and not really knowing what's going on. Oftentimes, you know, as boys and men, especially black boys and black men, we're seen as pain as weakness, leaving the body. Vulnerability and masculinity cannot coexist in the same space. Mm. Oftentimes, vulnerability is seen as femininity, and I didn't want to cry. I didn't want to. Talk about it. And my mother stopped me and I always just said, You don't seem like your whole, your normal self. Are you having any pain? What's going on? And I was lethargic in class and uh, just not being me. Mm-hmm. And both of my friends, I was watching a football game, can't breathe by halftime. His mother takes me to the hospital. My mother meets me there. They do a CT scan of the chest. The doctors thought it was a punctured lung. Take me to another hospital, find out there's a mass growing in my chest. They took me to surgery immediately. I just could not breathe. I mean, I was literally, you know, every third breath trying to catch my breath. And uh, they cut me open, saw my cells in my body growing so fast, they could see them going with the naked eye, around my heart, my trachea. And I used my voice for a living. It was growing around my larynx, my voice box. And uh, felt great coming out of surgery. The doctor says, don't be so quick to go back to school yet. And I was in the hospital during Christmas vacation. School had commenced again. And um, he says, you have what we call non hoskins lymphoma. I'm like, non hoskins lymphoma? My first language is ebonics. I'm still trying to learn English. What you, tr- <laughs> you talking about? He says, uh, he says you, you have not one, not two, not three, but four. I'm like, I'm checking my pockets to find $4. He says, stage four cancer. Yeah. I'm like, how was this happening to me? I'm 15. I'm just starting my life, now fighting for my life. Yeah. I'm thinking you can't get cancer to you 60, 70, 80 years of age. You know, uh, and and I'm like, uh, what is going on here? He says, "Don't ask why." I'm like, "That's how could you say that to me after a diagnosis?" You know, I uh, wanted to go oops upside his head after that. <laughs> I felt it was a very insensitive question that you that's not posed think, to me that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the question that I asked for two years: chemo and radiation. You know, lost all my hair, my self confidence, my self esteem. My own biological father never even visited me one day in the hospital not just the, the chemo and the radiation, and getting needles driven into your veins or getting a spinal tap in your back, which is just, if you move any inkling, you could possibly be paralyzed. People who I thought would, were praying for me were literally praying on me, sitting on the sideline, expecting my demise. And beyond the physical pain, it was the depression. But I'm telling you, without a praying mom, uh, without her telling me, you got to go to Psalm 118, which says, you shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Speaking the word over my life and, and speaking healing when I was sick and having to dig within and find that faith and that determination to say, a knockdown is not a knockout unless you stay down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep fighting again. I found literally the first three letters in cancer spells can for a reason. You mm-hmm. can overcome, you can' survive, yeah that's that's the story.
1: there was something you said about <clears throat> your dad not even asking, did he know, and even if he did know, how did that make you feel him not even wanting to check up on you like I mean this is the yeah. person who was part of the making of you and not giving you know not giving a damn about what's happening to you, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, he knew uh, he never came up to the hospital. You know, I'm, I've always been somewhat of a tough guy mentally. Mm. And so um, I just decided to say, I just used the negative steam to to power myself and, and turn this nightmare into a dream. And um, I just decided to fight. And the thing is, coming out of cancer, I still had some bitterness about the situation, about the, the, the diagnosis, much less my dad not being there. I began just writing my story and as I was writing, I was healing. I had to literally forgive people who never gave me an apology or gave me a delayed apology. I had to forgive to live. And, um, you know, sometimes you can come out of a situation, you can be delivered, but not healed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so now being able to be in a place where I'm both is a blessing.
1: You don't really hear much people surviving, Stage four cancer, and like you said, there's nothing like a praying mother because your mom must have been beside herself. And your brother, how was your brother through this as well? Because your brother is a bit of a character as well. We'll talk about him a little bit <laughs> later. <laughs> so he's a real character. But how was it? How was your yeah. brother? And he's younger than you as well.
0: Yeah, he's younger than me uh by a year. But I mean, he wound up dealing with cancer as well, not in the the extreme place of where I was. Yeah. But um, he wound up having a bout as well with it. Thankfully, beat it very, very quickly. But to have you know two sons now dealing with that, and you know the stress of a divorce, the stress of you know uh, a mother grappling to, to deal with two sons, and, and dealing with your own masculinity and identity, and trying to find your way and navigate it through life, it becomes taxing. And you know, the doctors I remember when I was diagnosed said, Well, did you did you smoke at all? I'm like, No, I didn't smoke. I'm like, I'm fifteen. They like, What's that mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, uh well, if you knew how tough my mama raised me, no, nah, I ain't doing that. <laughs>
1: exactly. they like, Did you live
0: in a toxic environment? No. And now we're realizing they didn't even mention it that at that time, but now we're realizing the the effects of stress on the body, psychosomatic, which is a cancer-causing uh aspect. And so you know, having to yes, I got the healing physically, but now having to do the healing emotionally, mentally, spiritually cognitively mm. was uh, another layer to this whole aspect
1: and how long did that take for your healing in terms of from all the chemotherapy mm. and then you had your mental healing emotional like how many years was that you're a teenager at this point was it a very long process, or was it sort of like you decided to focus and spend the next three or four or five years making sure that you're right within. So how long did that take?
0: Yeah, I mean, from cancer to 15 to, as they said, remission, as I say, healing, mm. coming out of it about 18, that was a three years physically. But I would say it, it really from about 15 to 23, mm. when you're thinking about the whole aspect of the emotional, the mental, mm. uh, the psychological, the spiritual even. Uh, Me writing the book, my first book, Purposefully Prepared to Persevere, Finding the Can in Cancer. Mm. That really became more of a seminal moment to say, all right, I can now move on and help people overcome obstacles.
1: I always ask this question because I feel like we all go, we all have that moment. Were you angry with God because you had cancer and especially at a young age as well, because you're young and you just mm-hmm. want to live life. You want to do so much. So were you angry at God?
0: That's a great question. I, I've never been asked that question. And I think I I was. I think I was, if if not even anger and disappointment. It was a why hast thou forsaken me moment. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, it is a uh, cancer was a crucifixion, so to speak. Wow. And I feel like there's there's two parts of my life, the pre-cancer stage and the post-cancer stage. It, it is a uh, place to saying, you know, I'm just now beginning my life. Why, why me? Because, you know, a lot of times we go through things and we really want to be serious about it. We could think about five or 10 folk who said, you know what, you could have chose them ones. You could have chose that hating person over there. Right, right. <laughs> the, right. Yes. The, the one who's, who, who's acting a fool, toe up on the flow up every, mm. uh, every time <laughs> of the week. Keep talking you nice. could have substituted them for me. Mm-hmm. Why me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh once I began to understand that God is not necessarily turned off by a why, in why comes revelation. Mm. You know, in why comes the whole aspect that other people, if you look around it, and when I was in that cancer ward, they died. When you stop seeing those specific children who are my age or younger, wow. they stopped coming in, but you're sustained. You know, there's not maybe all the time deliverance as we wanted as quick as we wanted, but mm. there is sustenance. Mm. I sustained you in the midst of this to where you don't feel the ramifications of it, I know you're in the fiery furnace, but you still don't smell the smoke and you're coming through it because your test of testimony, your misery is ministry, your mess of message, your stumbling blocks and stepping stone. God use your setback and set up for your greatest comeback. He uses your tragedy mm. as strategy to move to the next level. If we were playing the movie, the color purple. You know, I tell you, just like Sophia, all my life I had to fight, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so, understanding that you can still soldier through this, and uh, that you can fight on, and then live to tell the story—that um, God got the glory from it—and you can overcome too.
1: This is it, and I think that's the that's the key thing. Like, it really is about God getting the glory in yeah. the things that we go through, like the journey that we go through, because. We can't say it was some man or some woman that helped us, but really, when you look at it deep down, it's for him to get the glory for bringing us through the whatever issues or stress that we were going through at that particular point in life. So, you know, moving on from you, you know, surviving cancer stage four—I mean, incredible, absolutely incredible—and we thank God that you're here to tell to tell the story. Now that you're you're healed, you're moving on with life. So, what was like? What was it like in your twenties? What did you begin to do? Like, live? Did you like what kind of things did you start to do in your twenties?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I really grew up as a kind of a reserve shy kid. Uh, I, you know, my I was always a sports aficionado, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a mitig-gazing an architect. And now I found myself post cancer having to be an architect for my future.
1: <laughs> the irony.
0: The irony. <laughs> I uh, wanted, to be, wanted to be an athlete, but I didn't grow as, as tall as Michael Jordan, <laughs> but I had to leap over some obstacles on my home. <laughs> so oh, um, I I went to college and I was told I'd never go to college because the circle back to what my guidance counselor said, uh, she knew my favorite two schools. Uh, class in school with Jim at lunch and uh, to a certain (laughs) degree (laughs) to a certain degree my grades were indicative of that so she said you know you're not going to college don't even think about community college pick up a trade that might be the the boat that'll float for you oh wow so I I I said I'm gonna use I said here we go another obstacle I said uh let me push through this and I wound up getting a a donation five thousand dollar donation for college Mm -hmm and being admitted on probation and somebody, I still don't know this day, some donor gave me $5,000 that they knew of my story. And uh, I was admitted on probation to to Eastern Michigan University, majored in education, did a bachelor's in history and minor in physical education. And mm. I said, you know what, I'm gonna just, I think I'm gonna be a teacher. And uh, my parents were both teachers. So i I knew I'd get the summers off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's so true yes and it's long summers too right like this it's, like, it's a win-win it's win-win
0: you're right the pain so bad at all so um and then i I just enjoyed mentoring young people yeah and i felt it was an opportunity for me to speak to my 13 14 15 year old self because i taught high school for 12 years some people say i was 12 years a slave oh. <laughs> but um teaching uh the kids and and really helping them to find identity, right. developing their gifts and their their calling. And but guess what? I, I'm a I'm a like I said I'm Jamaican. So you know we got five six seven jobs. I'm a hustler. I'm a I'm a hustler. For real? So <laughs> so what I would do during the time when everybody else was going to happy hour, was trying to make my hours happy. <laughs> I uh went home. They were trying to have a happy, I was trying to have, have a happy life. <laughs> I would go home and begin to write my book. I'd go during the summertime. I'd still teach uh, summer school. And then I'd come home and still write on write my books. You know, I'd come back to school and my colleagues like, I heard you wrote another book. <laughs> you, see? <laughs> like,
1: you see what I'm saying? When I said 12 books, I'm right. like... Where did you first of all? Where did you find time to write these books? Secondly, do you even have a yeah. social life? Like, <laughs> like, well, yeah. again, you did say you're kind of res- reserved and shy person, so right, right, would you use that to br- your advantage.
0: I, you know, I broke out of that shell um, once I went to college because I knew I knew how I knew I had to fend for myself. Now, like mm-hmm. my mom said, hey, if you don't get a scholarship or find some money to stay in school, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to come back home. Oh wow. I'm like, no, I went to college to leave the house. <laughs> I'm so not coming back. What? I'm not coming back to the basement. This is not gonna happen. And then pay rent too. It's not gonna happen. So I wound up finding a place to stay there. But you know, I live in a cold weather environment. I live in a cold weather weather city. Uh it's cold most of the year in Detroit. Is is no is nothing else to do but to work. Just like and London. so I'm yeah, yeah, right. Just just like London. Yeah. You know, get you get you some tea and the No, you didn't.
1: No, you didn't. No, you didn't. didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay.
0: You know, uh, listen to the Big Ben clock. uh, Yeah. You know, whatever whatever the case may be. But, you know, I mean, it's, um, I'm not new to a quarantine. I'm true to a quarantine. Mm. And so uh, finding a still a a place to be socially connected and say, hey, all right, I got to block this time off. because if I don't do the work, it, the work is not going to work unless I work it. Right. Faith without works won't work. And so um, I, I've just been the person who's who's always said, all right, I'm just determined. I'm just going to make it happen. As stressful as sometimes writing can be and as painstaking as it is, mm-hmm. I just pushed just it on the pages and, and made it happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot in that brain of yours that just wants to continuously just <laughs> come out. And every time, I'm gonna write a book on this. Okay, right. I feel like by the, yeah. before I feel like before you retire, you're gonna be like at least fifty to sixty books in, and your wow. library in your house is just gonna be like, yeah, these are my books. I, I'm, yeah, I don't need no, well, not that you don't need other books. So with that said, who yeah. are your favorite writers?
0: Without a doubt, that's a great question. You know, I, uh, James Allen's book "As a Man Thinketh" I. It was mm. a very short read. About well, 50 pages, but it was so powerful. You know, likening the mind to a garden. You know, you're either going to plant weeds or seeds of weeds of worry or seeds of strength. And so, uh, I began to really imbibe that book and use that as a, a place of mental fortitude and and just having a, a mindset to just power through what it is that I may go through. I remember reading Dr. Michael Eric Dyson's book. I may not get there with you. Um, in as a sophomore in college, about the life of Dr. King in the last few years of him, mm-hmm. is is interesting. One of my heroes, <laughs> Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, wound up writing the forward for one of my books. Wow! Years later, sitting down and having crazy. lunch with him, and yeah, yeah, a number of times. And um, I mean, Dr. Cornell West, uh, Race Matters. Um, Dr. Miles Monroe, who writes about purpose mm-hmm. profusely. Mm-hmm. Uh, T.D. Jakes. Uh, you can think about his book, uh, Maximize the Moment. He's got another book, He Motions. Many of those, those types of writers um as well. Then you you I mean Maya Angelou, Nikki Giovanni. Uh, even Dr. King is one of my favorite writers. Yeah, his, his last book that he wrote, he was actually, he actually wrote his last book, interesting enough, in Jamaica. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? His last book that he wrote. Uh, where do we go from here? Chaos or community? He and his wife took a vacation. He and Coretta took a vacation to Jamaica. And that's where he wrote his last book.
1: Look at that. And it's like it's meant to be. And as I'm it's great. I love that. It's definitely meant to, meant to be. It's meant to be. Meant to yeah. be all good. So where did your passion for relationships then come in? Because you've done all this stuff, you know, surviving. You're getting through, educated. And I know, obviously, your mom is very, very proud. Wait, in fact, this is a question for you and you have to answer honestly, are you a mummy's boy?
0: <laughs> uh, Unabashedly so. <sighs> yeah.
1: Has that been a problem? Has that been a problem in the past?
0: I would say in the past, it probably was a problem. Okay. In regards to trying to make my own decisions
1: right, yes,
0: you that. know yes. I'm trying trying to make my own decisions i'm 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 my own man,, mm-hmm. you know, now and have been for quite some time, but I would say being being sheltered and growing up the way that I did, you know, going to church all the time, nothing wrong with that still, That's but good. you know, being under her wing and in, in church yeah. all the time, five times a week, sometimes it was, or you know she's making sure your homework is done, and now you're having trepidation about what am I supposed to do in life. Just being able to, sp- I think college was good for me to be able to spread my wings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and having to learn how to live on your own, you know? But I'm I'm grateful because, you know, she she didn't raise a lazy boy. She didn't raise lazy sons with me and my brother. But I mean, I had to learn how to cook on my own. I had to learn how to do my own laundry. I had to learn how to iron my own clothes. Got to learn how to look like something once you leave the house. So once I came to college, it wasn't like I'm just, you know, Alice in Wonderland, Charlie <laughs> in the chocolate factory, wondering what's going on. You were <laughs> but I
1: <laughs> prepared you. It was just like this boy. You yeah. need to learn something. So you're gonna learn before you go out. So she, it, she essentially Absolutely. prepared you to go out into the world for college. Yeah. For your colleges, right? Okay. Yeah. So back to like the whole relationships. Where did your passion for relationship come into play? Because that's that's kind of like your major thing, and I think it's great. And I have questions because, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, before we get into the questions. But anyway, when did that passion for relationships come through? Because when I see it, I'm like, okay, making some sense here. So, yeah, where did that come
0: through? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it came through for me. I, I wrote a book. My first book ever on relationships was called Heal Your Heart. Mm. Um, It was talking about healing from broken relationships. And I felt as if I could either be amicable or forgive my father and repair that relationship to a certain degree, then I could help anybody else overcome any type of fissure or uh fracture in a relationship. And I felt as if I could overcome that, move from uh brokenness to wholeness mm. and find strength through struggle. Because you know, some things you may never get over. You just have to manage and you have to just not be on some type of emotional roller coaster, but learn how to get off the ride and uh, push full steam ahead mm-hmm. and move into a place of healing. So I, I felt that was one of the main factors to me writing about relationships and, and just looking at the gravity, especially the the male-female dynamic, you know, the the reading books, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. <laughs> That's such a cool try book. To, try <laughs> That's to, such a cool try, book. I'm telling you. <laughs> A uh, love languages by by Dr. Gary Chapman. Lo- discovering what your five love languages are, finding what love languages are out of the five. Um, it just kind of just being enamored by that, and then growing up in a divorce household, mm. um, I think that really kind of shaped my view to a certain degree on relationships and 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 seeing how it is that people communicate. Like I was I was the kid whenever my parents would have you know uh, people over their their friends. We're all older, and I'm chilling with the with their their sons and their daughters. I left them, and I'd put my ear up to the door and try to go hear what the older folks were talking about,
1: oh wow, okay,
0: so I was always somewhat of an old soul as a yeah, young kid yeah. you know they the kids they they want to play spin the bottle. I'm trying to hear what what are the the young the older people talking about <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and then I get caught like what you doing listening? Uh, I was tying my
1: shoe. <laughs> Get up so out of here, boy. So you you were kind of like a, a, a an old soul and a young buddy. Okay, so yeah. with your parents' divorce, did that really give you any worries or issues about committing into a relationship? Because quite a number of times when people come from divorced <laughs> homes, it really affects them when it comes to getting into a relationship because it's either like they treat their partner um not right or they get into it and then it's a sabotage thing or it just they just do the same cycle as their parents did so did that worry you getting into a meaningful relationship
0: yeah um you know we like they said especially
1: as a man as well
0: I, I think it it does shape to a certain degree you know it is though that we live we 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 live looking like our parents, but we die looking like our decisions. Mm. So <laughs> mm. so after a while, you know, playing the blame game, it 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 literally uh, stops you from winning in life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the the main things is that you know I, I had to get to a place of saying, all right, just because my father might have been physically present. At certain times, but mentally, spiritually, socially absent mm. doesn't mean that I'll be a bad dad mm. whenever you know I decide to get married and have children. So I think it it moves from that place of of looking at sometimes you gotta reparent yourself.
1: True.
0: Sometimes <laughs> sometimes you have to say, all right, that example will not necessarily be the lot for my life. Mm because I don't have to ascribe to the whole aspect of just because they were divorced doesn't mean that I would be uh just moves from the place of okay this is an example that I don't have to partake in mm-hmm. and you know sometimes one good parent is better than two bad ones
1: <laughs> that's very true <laughs> Honestly, you know? uh, you, you, said it, you said it. And some people think that like, just having one parent is a bad thing, but really, when you look at it, yeah. do you really want to have two toxic people in a household? Because that's not gonna. It's not. It's not gonna do anybody any better. And especially long the in the long term, it, it can have some severe effects. on how you know how men see things, or how women see things, or how they see each other, how they're supposed to behave, how they're supposed to act. You know, so uh, yeah, it's better to have one than definitely two. So, for you, do you feel the pressure? Because let's be honest, mm. women have this pressure to get married. Like there is this obscene amount of pressure to get married. Like I'm from I'm so I'm African. Like I'm like Nigerian. And oh wow, <laughs> if, if, if you know anything, if you're listening, you know, and if you're of African heritage, you know the pressures. There's so much pressure for children to get married especially the, the the girls if you're and especially if you're the eldest if you're the eldest mm-hmm. girl and you're not married and your younger ones are married oh my goodness me it's it's hella crazy so there's pressure from women to get married do you feel there's pressure for you as a man to get married as well and why isn't that pressure on men to get married or is there
0: mm, good question not as exacerbated as it is on our on our sisters you know on women like yourself it is a societal pressure is is serious for for women because of course you know you got the biological clock; you gotta have children by a certain amount of time mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um and if you don't now you're seen as an anomaly or they want to stigmatize you well what's wrong with you right I mean the the question I get the most these days is, "When am I going to get married?" As if, and they ask me as if I'm unemployed looking for a job. <laughs> when in many Oops. cases, <laughs> right? You know, of course. Um, I mean, it, you know, Holly Berry gets excoriated. George Clooney gets celebrated.
1: Couldn't have put it better myself. Wow. <laughs> thank you for that con- thank you for that contrast because it, yeah. that really really why it's frustrating
0: it, it's, a, it's a societal double standard societal double standard is what it is the whole aspect of you know it's, it's like back in school the a girl who dates more than one or two athletes as a cheerleader she called everything but a child of God
1: this is <laughs> it but if a
0: guy the man it, the boy uh... <laughs> who dates the whole cheerleading team oh you the man 100 grand so that still seeps into society
1: and it's happening right now classic 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 example (sighs) not that i want to talk about it but i'm going to use an example so you have michael b jordan and laurie harvey laurie harvey has had so many you know people that she's dated but she gets ripped for it but for another guy it's like hush hush but i'm just and I can't, I, I have to admit, I had a bit of a problem with it, but then I thought, hold on a minute, wait. If this was the other way around, if it was a guy, it would be like, oh, he's, hurt, he's fine, he's living his life, he's doing this, da 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 But I'm like, but she's living her life, right? She's, she's doing her thing, she's, she's enjoying herself. So just because she's a woman it's it's like, it's it's not good. It doesn't look good for her. It's like, women shouldn't be doing that. But it's just like, well, listen, I've always said it, what a man can do. A woman can do probably 10 times better. Just a lot more slicker. And <laughs>
0: and, make, <laughs>
1: and may get ridiculed for it, but they just do it just a little bit better. It's,
0: it's true. It's true. In my opinion. It's true. We... To a certain degree, yes. You know, we we want to equal the playing field. Right. Um, But in certain aspects of relationships, it never will be. Yeah. I mean, you think about our women are seemingly born with this level of inherent value that men have to work to attain. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're seen as being born with a certain level of inherent value, how are you treated as such? Women are our sons are loved women are raised Mm. we love our sons and we raise our daughters Mm -hmm. keep your skirt down Mm. continue to be prim continue to be proper continue to be prissy right because you have this level of value that you don't want your image to be tarnished much less yourself tarnished Mm -hmm. because it's all for the whole build up Mm -hmm. what is it of the wedding day the prom becomes the prelude you're playing with ken and barbie Right, you you play what do you you play house? You got the oven, <laughs> easy bake, easy bake. <laughs> right? And in many cases, what are we doing as guys? We, we playing cops and robbers. We playing video games. We playing all these games. We 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 tally the scoreboard. Yeah. So oftentimes, this is what it is that we're doing now. We're preparing women for unprepared men.
1: You know what? <sighs> I feel like. I feel like the spirit is one right about now, because no, 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 I'm gonna tell you why, because I've had this huge issue with just society in general, and even in the church, where a lot of rhetoric is directed at women to prepare. You must do this, you must look like this, you must position yourself, you must have this, you must do this, da, 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 da. But I'm sitting there like, Hold on a minute. I thought there was two people in, like, when it comes to relationship, there's two, right? So, why aren't, so us women, and this, and I think this is one of the reasons why there are a lot of single women in the church, because women are raised to be this great, upstanding, integritous, you know, women and everything like that. But then you get the fellas. It's like, okay, so, what, what, as, as, as the patois would say, wagwan, wagwan, brother.
0: Gu-
1: <laughs> like, I mean, like, hello. It really frustrates me. So why is it that, that men aren't being prepared? I know some of the stuff that you do are directed at women, but why aren't you speaking to the fellas as well? Because they need to be spoken to.
0: Yeah, and much of my rhetoric, especially in my books, has changed that way. Um, I've got my I've got a book called Why is the Inspired Faithfully Empowered? That is not so much a book written to women. It's written for how brothers can prepare to mm-hmm. find a wife. And is also for what women should look for when they're being found. Mm-hmm. Then I've got my other one, Relationship Rules, which just came out just recently, uh, how to win it, love leadership and leveraging your purpose uh, to where we talk about the same owners that we placed on women should also be placed on men. You know, I, I specifically share in my books is that, you know, we always beat women over the head with Proverbs 31, who can find a virtuous woman? Her prices price far above rubies, right? But we've failed to talk about Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, which says, Who can find a faithful man? Last time I checked, and I'm more English than that, <laughs> but 20 comes before 31, right. right? So if who can find, not only for the sisters, and actually, Proverbs 31 is a chapter that is written from a mother to her son. Her son is King Lemuel. is is not written for a woman to a woman. is written for a mother to her son for what he should look for in a woman. So she's essentially asking him, "Who can find a virtuous woman?" Proverbs chapter twenty, verse six. Who can find a faithful man? Who can find means a slim pickings. Is little supply, but is great demand. So my price goes up, my appraisal rate goes up. The more valuable that I am, the more uh, virtuous or the more faithful that I am. See, the fact of the matter is, brothers want sisters to be virtuous, and women want men to be faithful. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? So oftentimes, we want want sisters to be librarians in the sanctuary, while we as brothers wanna run through the streets
1: oh, I could just listen to you all day. Like, please keep preaching. Please, no, 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 no. Please keep saying. And just just talk to the brothers as well, please. Like,
0: it, it just, It's just that whole aspect that I've got to be, when you talk about who can find a faithful man, question becomes, am I faithful in my relationship with God? Am I faithful in my career? Am I faithful in my calling? Am I faithful in being on my purpose? Am I faithful for those of us who may be fathers or husbands, leaders and scholars in the community? What is the area that I'm faithful in? I got to find that area and be faithful and be stick to, I have that stick to it because if I can't be faithful in those areas, hmm. no way that you're going to be able to be faithful in a relationship. Hmm. No way. Look
1: at that. Got to be faithful in <laughs> one. <Whatever.
0: laughs> if you want her to be virtuous, you've got to be faithful. Yes. It's the same purity label that you place on her. It's got to be indicative in us too. Oof.
1: Thank you so much because it's just, it's been super frustrating. And it sometimes worries me, like, okay, so, you know, I'm here preparing, getting ready. But then I'm just like, then who's who's talking to these brothers? Especially in the church, because I feel like guys in church these days are moving, as we Brits like to say, uh, moving kind of mad. And mm. they're not, like you said, they're not faithful. They're not the men that we'd like to have integrity. They don't have the integrity that you would think that they should have especially and godly standards as well and it's frustrating because we're trying to be good we're doing good as best as we can but then the guys are not Nobody's saying anything to the men and why don't men go to conferences or why don't they want to hear things to get them you're laughing because someone's asked you this before i feel like
0: <laughs> i
1: feel like this is a question that's come up before why won't men do these things to prepare themselves do they just feel oh i don't need preparation i'm good i'll just do whatever
0: you know, Tyler Perry said men, women control the marketplace and men buy what women like. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things is that uh, how we have been raised and how we have been reared, how we have been socialized as men is uh, that you never ask for help. You know, it's kind of like the man who is driving with his wife and she knows all the direction, but he wants to figure it out because a lot of times us seeking help is weakness. hmm. Mm -hmm. Us seeking help is now moving into a place of, I got to be transparent. And now transparency moves to a place of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I'm going to a conference because I want answers. Mm -hmm. But as a man, we're taught to always have the answers. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of times, even you think about the way that we're socialized, women verbalize, men internalize. Mm You know, if a woman got an issue going on. She's gonna get on the phone and talk to her girlfriend. She's gonna seek it out, whatever the case may be. Oftentimes, us men we stay locked in. And the problem is when you're so locked in, sometimes you don't know how to get out. Mm. And so I think as we begin to change the trajectory of our, our vision, our mindset to see a conference, a workshop, an empowerment tool, a book, as not something as you're deficit minded, but now you're able to build upon the strengths that you already have. Mm. We're so taught not to, to minimize our weaknesses, but in many cases, what we try to minimize so much really becomes maximized in our lives, which I think is why, you know, sisters are so ardent about self improvement, about mm-hmm. uh, getting in the, you know, nail done, hair done, everything did. Are you fancy, huh? Building your business and your brand and you securing your bag. You know you're keeping your standards higher than your heels you being a queen and wearing your crown right it it is a place of self-empowerment and now sometimes you get into relationships where you've improved so much they haven't necessarily taken the steps that you've taken and whoever you intimidate is who you eventually eliminate yeah okay
1: sir I love that. Yeah. And then it brings me to the question also, um, because of obviously what you do, you know, you talk mm-hmm. about relationships, um, whether it be romantic or with, you know, like platonic in terms of like workplace and leverage and all of that. Have you ever been scrutinized in past relationships on the things that you have preached about? Because I always wonder that, you know, men who talk about relationships and give out these tips and this and mm-hmm. that. What's it like in their relationships? Like, do you practice what you preach? Have you ever been sort of like pulled up on, but you talk about this, but you're not like doing that. Has that ever happened to you?
0: Yeah, I think one of the main things, especially us as men, we can struggle with is communication. With that whole aspect, a lot of times communication is so different. You know, on average, the a, a woman uses about 20,000 words uh, on average a man uses about 10,000 10,000 she uses at her place of employment 5,000 he uses at his place of employment the evening begins or they're going out to dinner she's still got another 10,000 he's got another 5,000 left safe friends they use their 5,000 She's still got 5,000 in the bank he's out of words
1: hmm.
0: right uh, <laughs> He, he communicates more so from facts, she communicates from feelings. Mm. And so I think getting into a place of learning the beauty, the the benevolence, but also uh, sometimes how people need to be loved. So, you know, a lot of times we, we come into relationships thinking that we know how somebody needs to be loved versus discovering how they need to be loved. And that there boils down to communication. Right. Right, communication is not, waiting to talk. Listening is not waiting to talk. And a lot of times, some of those things that I have struggled with, especially just, just being more transparent, mm-hmm. you know, more communication oriented versus trying to see it just from a linear perspective, all logical, mm-hmm. and not see it from a place of just sometimes it's just feeling is just emotional, right? I'm, I'm a woman can go through 30 different emotions in a day. You ask a woman how her day was going. She'll tell you from the time she she put her feet in her furry slippers at four fifty nine AM to where she almost got cut off in traffic, to where she, had, you know, had to get her do her makeup and then she had an issue with the coworker and then she had to straighten that out. She she had to correct them in Z formation. Three snaps of the neck roll. <laughs> right? Like but you ask me I man. feel like this is
1: coming from experience. I feel like you <laughs> <laughs> this is something that you've experienced.
0: Absolutely, and I, plus I, I, I've written about five books on relationships. Mm-hmm. You ask a man how his day was, it was good.
1: <laughs> that's it. It was literally good. That's <laughs> it. And it's like, that's it. Like, because it really
0: was nothing else happened.
1: Like anything else? Can you like elaborate a little bit, please? Like,
0: so I had to unlearn and relearn yeah. certain things, and especially you know, my father wasn't necessarily big. You know, he had an incredible vocabulary, but. When it came to just expression, he was not as as, as verbose one on one.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. All right. So now there's there's something that I saw online that you did, and I could not believe it. So since we're talking about relationships, okay, mm-hmm. you went on one of probably one of my favorite people <laughs> show. Yeah, you know what I'm about to talk about, and I was like, what? Really? Okay. So basically. Dr. Eddie went on to the Steve Harvey show, all right. He didn't
0: introduce me to Lori though. <laughs> <laughs> wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. Were you, were and you as, hurt? And that's, were you
0: and that's my creed.
1: <laughs> were you hurt that he didn't introduce you to Lori?
0: <laughs> uh, honestly, I didn't even know she was on the radar at that time. I just didn't.
1: So well, I guess you... she
0: was born grown up I don't
1: know I just... <laughs> listen she might have been way too young for you anyway but um <laughs> but, so you actually went on to the Steve yeah. Harvey show which I was so shocked about I could not believe it. I was like right, ah, okay obviously you were wanting to settle down and you know find somebody what was that experience like like doing that show
0: you know, it was it was really cool. I I got a chance to be behind the scenes and really see uh Steve be a master of what he does. Yeah. He he's he really is a king of comedy and it's all unscripted. He how he was warming up the crowd when I was in the green room. Wow. It was it was pretty uh, amazing. But I also got to see that a lot of TV is smoking mirrors too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to it our is, world. That's,
0: that's why they call it TV programs. It is a program for sure. Is to do <laughs> it is <laughs> for sure, and you know to be invited on to for the segment United Dates of America <laughs> as uh, the the most eligible bachelor at that time uh, in Michigan. That was that was pretty cool. Actually, the the girl who they brought me on to meet. After our segment, she says to me, she said, I know who you are. I said, you know me? I said, I, this is our first time meeting. Happy she said, day. yeah, you, you wrote the book, Heal Your Heart. This is the book, Heal Your Heart this time. She said, you had the billboard up. So she's a, city, a sister from Detroit. And uh, I said, wow. So she had already had my book and read it. You know, she was really uh, giddy to meet me. You know, we we wound up going out. We wound up going out they the Steve Harvey show gave us a gift card. It's like, I can't take myself out. I, I did gotta take the sister out. I had a report back. And uh it was cool. It was just a cool conversation and you know that's just basically where it was for real. <laughs> it
1: was like it was just there. It was it was like, okay, so obviously, so I wanna ask you this question and you have to be truthful about it. T not. stands for truthful. Exactly. So <laughs> Since you appeared on the Steve Harvey Show for that segment, are you still the most eligible bachelor in Detroit, Michigan?
0: <laughs> I I am not. I,
1: I tried for you, ladies. Uh, I tried. Uh, there you go. So uh, then you've got your answer now. You have your answer now. But
0: I'm sure,
1: uh, because I'm pretty sure, like uh, so many people will try, and you your DMs must be crazy because people be asking on it's okay you can be truthful because it happens right your dms are pretty lit you get lots of solicitation <laughs> right
0: <laughs> more than i would like to go into <laughs> um you know based upon the way i filed my taxes <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> hilarious but uh you know i i you know more than anything i get a lot of uh people just want advice, you know, in the mm-hmm. DMs, you know, how do I deal with this guy? Or what do I say to this lady? You know, um, you know, you get a lot of that. And
1: so wait, you get guys asking you questions as well.
0: Sometimes you get the brothers asking questions too. Like, Hey bro, you know, I read your book, especially like my, my new book. I, I didn't realize I was going to get this much um, support from men especially writing about relationships, but a lot of brothers have been purchasing the book, asking questions. Okay. And I, I think one of the main things is that the pandemic has really put our connections as men under the microscope because mm. according to New York Times, they say our relationships with, with us as men connecting with each other has suffered. You know, there's there's no more sporting events mm. where we would get together. You know, they you social distance in the barbershop. It's not the way it used to be, you know, for guys who would just go out and hang with their fellas or hang with their brothers, it's not happening anymore. And a lot of our relationships were just built on sports, money, talking about women. And so now it puts it under the microscope. You know what, maybe I do need to be in a good loving relationship, (laughs)
1: You do <laughs> hello, <laughs> it's like hello, there are so many people waiting yeah. out there, so like, guys, come on, yeah. like, do something because, yeah, I think I think you are right, this pandemic has really shown a lot, like how people really do communicate, how they really interact, and once that's taken away from you, it's like, what else do you have, and I think. It should force people to like find ways to be able to interact and communicate with people. I mean like so many divorces, unexpected divorces have happened and it just goes to show like, wait, so you were married, but what how, what were you doing? How were you actually relating in your marriage? So now that you're seeing each other 24 7, you all of a sudden don't know how to or you get irritated or you can't do this. I'm just I'm just super shocked how it's how the pandemic has really affected relationships especially mm. marriages i think like you said it this should teach people really different ways to be able to interact and be able to communicate and wanting that interaction with someone as well there's like a need there's a need for more interaction now so i do hope some guys pay attention <laughs> and step up <laughs> a little bit because hello
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, absolutely it's, it's you know time to time to step up and i think you know my book is i write about it winning at love leadership leveraging your mm-hmm. purpose all of those have to work in concert with one another really to have you know to build healthy relations but also purposeful partnerships
1: yeah oh ugh. that purposeful partnerships that <laughs> is, is, yeah. is, is is a big thing because yeah. i think people don't think like well some those who know like when you get into a relationship it's great but that relationship needs to have a purpose what are your plans? What do you want to achieve together? Not really individually, but together as a couple because you can't, You kind of need to be able to, you know, win at life together, doing things together and being purposeful yeah. and creating and building things. But some guys, they want that. Yeah. They just want to hit and run. In fact, what is a word for the guys who just want to hit it and run? And I'm talking about those in the church no i'm just being real because this is my experience this is my lived experience at the moment because a lot of guys just want to hit it and run and in the church and i'm just like what bible are you reading from what would you say to them like because it's 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 that is a pandemic in itself (laughs) it's a no it's an Mm, epidemic yeah it's an epidemic
0: that's true i mean beyond netflix and chill i think that get to a place where we network and build Mm. and you can't even in proverbs 31 says, don't give your strength. His mother's talking to his son, King Lemuel. If you're going to be a king, you can't give your strength to to all these women mm-hmm. because you're out of purpose. And I think one of the main ingredients for a man has to be the place of where is he in regard to his purpose. Mm-hmm. Not chasing skirts, chasing all these other things, but really, am I discovering what is that purpose that God has created me to fulfill? and a lot of times that is happening because brothers avoid a purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? They think they think their their validation, their value comes in how many conquests that they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus how many businesses can you build? How many books can you write? How many people can you empower? How many young brothers can you motivate? You know, we've been so inundated with the whole aspect of of size matters. But it is it's really the size of your heart. What is the level of the strength that I have where I can love somebody through where it is that I have experienced because lust has an expiration date. Right. And all of that is, is going to disintegrate any day. That, and that's why I write in my book, uh, relationship rules. One of the rules I have 14 rules in there, but one of the things that I write about, I say, love is not enough.
1: Please, That's actually. one
0: of the rules.
1: Please tell them Love
0: me. is not enough. Tell them. Because oftentimes, love is defined as legs open very easily. You really want to go there. Uh,
1: okay. <laughs> I've never seen it like that or heard it like that before. <laughs> That's new to me. Wow. Okay. Continue. Continue.
0: Absolutely. Love is the thread, but purpose is the glue. Mm. See, so many times people get into relationships saying, well, I just want somebody to love me. But in many cases, they should be able to complement the love that you already have internally. Mm. Right. I'm needy I'm not needy, I'm need ed. Hmm. I bring something to the table that is going to be beneficial because so many times we come into a relationship as a customer versus a waiter or a waitress. Hmm. As a customer, you come in selfish. As a waiter or waitress, you're selfless. The relationships about what can I give? And in many cases, you now make yourself you inconvenience yourself for somebody else. Hmm. So love is a thread purposes and glue and so many times we've been gorilla glued to the wrong folks said, glue we've been glue attached and we need a we need a social distance from those and, and that's that's one beautiful thing about the pandemic as ugly as it has been so many times we were asymptomatic people were asymptomatic to what they did to us but we were always sick they hurt us but they were they never had any ramifications from it hmm. Now, because I'm so, so distance from you, I'm able to really see who you are. But listen, love is not, as I said before, is not the foundational element. It's got to be purpose. Exes love each other. Baby mamas love each other. Divorce folks love each other, but they can't be together mm. because they weren't in purpose together. Hmm. You can't expect a purpose partner if you have not first partnered with your purpose. And that's where we are. That's why relationships are in a pandemic all on its own itself
1: listen i know we can talk about this there's so much more there is so much more we can you know we can um talk about tell us a couple of rules in your book that can help towards
0: relationships. Yes. uh yes as i said uh before don't follow don't uh love is not enough but there's another rule don't follow your heart huh?
1: <laughs> wait 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 a minute wait a minute would you mean, mm. don't follow your heart? I don't, yeah. I, I don't. I don't trust. I don't want to follow my head. I'd rather. Okay, please explain. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah.
0: Don't follow your heart is some of the worst advice that you could possibly get. People tell you to follow your heart as if it's somebody on social media. Um, Jeremiah says in scripture, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. That above all, who can know it? Mm. So essentially, your heart will take you where your mind can't keep you. Okay. Your your heart will put you in a situation where you mentally can't really stay there. And so many times we follow our heart and it derails us towards our destiny because really it puts us on a detour to destruction through a distraction. You don't want to follow your heart. You want to follow the spirit of God, him leading you because once he leads you, this is what he gives you, increased level of discernment to say, all right, I can see Mm -hmm. a snake in a city." I can see a devil in a blue dress. I'm not judging you based on your height. I'm judging you based on your character. Mm -hmm. I'm not judging you based on your curves. I'm really judging you based on the character and the level of who it is that you are. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes we come to the table with, yes, you're fine, but what else? How can a woman expect a man not to have an appetite if all she brings to the table is meat? Breast, legs, hips, and thighs that only Popeye's. Now he treats you like a fast food restaurant in and out how can a man not expect a woman to only want her to pay only want him to pay her bills if all he does is uh say this is where the money resides and show me nothing but dollar bills hmm. so she came to the table with her body he came to the table with his money and at the end of the day once the relationship is skewed she says oh he only wanted me for my body he she only wanted me for my money but that's all you brought to the table Can you bring your character? Can you bring your dreams? Can you bring your goals? Can you bring your ideas? Can you bring your relationship with God? Can you bring the essence and the aura of your personality and who it is that you are as an individual to the table and that be enough? And if it's not enough, guess what? It's better to wait long than to marry long. Hmm. Waiting on God is not a waste of time. If you rush it, you just might ruin it because once you know what you bring to the table, you don't mind eating alone. (laughs) <laughs> i refuse to be treated as a napkin when i know what i bring to the table
1: wow okay uh i don't even know how to respond to that other than that <laughs> yo that was crazy that was on point like <laughs> i'm I'm trying to recover from that sorry
0: <laughs> I really i'm sorry i had something to get off my chest <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness me, okay. Cause that love thing, when they say follow your heart, but then when you then explain, cause I was yep. about to ask you, so then what do you follow? When well, you said the Holy Spirit, Very mm-hmm. right, right, discernment. And I guess you have to really be in tune with your relationship with God to be able to, I think one of the two things that I always pray to God for, wisdom and discernment, those two for me, I think every single day I pray for those two things mm-hmm. because they're so powerful and gives you a little bit of foresight and also makes you aware and, Spirit, just awake, <laughs> so that you don't, you don't accept just anything, and yeah, like oh yeah, follow, don't follow your heart. Okay, okay, one more, one more, one more. I need, to, I, I need, I need to get the book. I need to get this. this so good. Okay, can you give
0: us uh, one more. I'll say uh another one, and y'all got to get the book. It is there's fourteen rules in here. And the rules are not even in the beginning. Most people, when they write a book, they write it based on the rules. The rules are all at the end. Oh my I day. had so much to say before the rules. <laughs> um, one is this. Is uh, another rule is that boundaries are a blessing.
1: Please preach.
0: <laughs> you have the floor. One thing I think you got to realize is this: that sometimes uh, your healing attracts people who are hurting. Mm. That's one of the main things. Sometimes your healing attracts people like a moth to a flame. Mm. And some people are not only attracted to you because they're looking for love. Some people attracted you because you they're looking for help. And so I think uh, now you find yourself, if you don't set healthy boundaries for yourself, you will find yourself in relationships and situationships that that really now uh, sink the boat on, on your future because... Uh, relationships in many cases like boarding an airplane too much baggage is going to cost you Mm. and so establishing healthy boundaries and then commuting communicating those healthy boundaries should not be off-putting to somebody in many cases it should really be uh, a place of of welcoming somebody you ought to be really cautious of people who don't have healthy boundaries right right because you love yourself because you know your worth because you're creating a safe space and place for yourself. I'm now creating healthy boundaries for myself. This is the time that I need for myself, right? I, I You know, I, I can't be over there with you after a certain amount of hours. I love talking to you, but I gotta minimize my time because I've got a purpose to fulfill and I got work to do too, <laughs> right? I, I won't put up with toxicity. This level of stress, you know, I I, I can't deal with that for me to build a healthy relationship. So I think um, once you really understand that healthy boundaries help you to win, you don't focus on what you lose. I think if anybody, if 2020 and 2021 taught us anything thus far, it is taking an L is healthy. Mm -hmm. See, the fact of the matter is if you're gonna take an L at all this year, it ought to be for love, it ought to be for leadership, it ought to be for leveraging your purpose, it ought to be for the fact that you got the Lord with you It ought to be for the fact that you don't lean onto your own understanding that you, because you'll fall. It ought to be for the fact that you discovered lessons. It never was a loss, it was a lesson. And I leveled up in life, right? I think that's where it boils down to. And so the whole aspect of don't follow your heart, love is not enough, but also creating healthy boundaries. And then being able to communicate that and then ask the other person, what are your boundaries? Right? Because if you don't have any boundaries, uh, a city without walls is easily destroyed. Absolutely. So boundaries aren't necessarily, even in that aspect, walls, boundaries are bridges uh, to be able to create healthy relationships and purposeful partnerships. You, you got to get the book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible. It's available as an ebook, hard copies you see here, but also as an audio book.
1: Listen, I'm going to be getting my copy ASAP because I need to see those <laughs> rules. It's brilliant. And my God, like this has been so insightful. And sometimes I think we make things so complicated, but then it just needs someone just to just to break it down and put it in the simplest of forms. And it's just like, oh, oh, I see. And you know, and I guess as humans, we've complicated things to the point of no repair. But thank God there are others like you who want to make it simpler and just easy. us to understand so thank you without
0: a doubt simplicity all the way
1: honestly (laughs) honestly so um thank you so much for imparting those you know tips and the wisdom as well and the understanding of so much and obviously talking about your journey to where you are now it's amazing like i said just seeing your growth to now it's just phenomenal like there's not many people that i follow and see that transformation and that transition so I'm a little bit gassed, as they say. (laughs) As you say in the UK, I'm a little bit gassed. I'm like, yes. I'm very grateful for you to just to talk and to share and to impart as well. Because one of the reasons why I do this is for people to really understand someone's journey and see where they're at. And also to leave with something as well. And I think you've just done that and beyond. So thank you so much for that.
0: Thank you. Super the BBC has nothing on Lady T. What? So
1: you better tell somebody. <laughs> 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 you better tell them. <laughs> oh my gosh, Locally
0: and globally it's it's a blessing to be able to share with you and and how you use your voice. Uh you know as your your the first letter uh your name speaks to uh transparency and truth.
1: Ooh, I so, love uh, it. Honestly, I'm going <laughs> to so tag that. I'm, I'm tagging it. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. that is so good, so good. Okay, so how can people, you know, keep in touch with you? Where your books are available, your social media handles, website, all that kind of stuff. Like, how can people find you?
0: Yes, uh, you know, I like to say the revolution not only be televised, it'll be digitized. So all you have to do is just go to my uh, website, dreddyacademy.com. You can register for our, our relationship academy, which we focus on those three areas: love, leadership, leveraging your purposes, ongoing now. It's an incredible, uh, transparent, safe space and place where we talk about all things relationships, purpose, leadership, all of those things under that umbrella. And then you can get the, the book, slash book, where you can get relationship rules or simply go to Amazon mm-hmm. to get it as an ebook, audio book, physical copy. I'm on social media at EddieConnorJR. Please put some respect on my name, E D D I E, C O N N O R jr facebook instagram twitter it's a number one hitter
1: wait did no one ever put respect on your name like what
0: What listen they they have uh chopped my name up so bad with the 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 typos and the spelling they do er s somebody called me o'connor before so uh
1: stand like what were they reading reading?
0: uh, i don't know i mean you know it's bad if you send somebody a bio and then they still chop the name up
1: listen before i i I tend to make sure that if i'm going to be pronouncing anybody's name i'm like like, can you just tell me how to say it because i don't want to butcher it i don't want to you know, mess it up and yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whether,
0: whether it's, and even, not only just spelling pronunciation, I had somebody call me, I was on mm-hmm. doing a Zoom and doing a conference one time. They said, uh, uh, we're grateful for Dr. Cooper today.
1: <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I said this I said this ain't TGIF and you're not hanging with Mr. Cooper.
1: He was a thought. Sorry, are you Mr. Cooper? Is that you? Like, what? I
0: said, I said just disregard my last name. I'm just simply Dr. Eddie. Simple as
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is so brilliant. Love it. But honestly, <laughs> uh, Dr. Eddie, it's just been phenomenal once again. Thank you yes. so much.